Hi, my name is Bruce Clark. I'm the pastor of Blue Water Christian Church. And I just wanted to share with you something that just recently happened to me. Uh, October 3rd, Sunday evening after a great day at church, uh, fun with the congregation. We were settling down Sunday evening, getting ready to go to bed. And uh, as I laid down, I, I got really strong pains in my arms and in my chest. And I, I didn't understand what that was. I never felt anything like that or that depth of pain. And so um, I got up out of bed and uh, here I am in my gym shorts and my t-shirt and I, I started asking God and, and I raised my hands and, and just started praying and asking the Lord, what, what's going on here? And I heard an audible voice from the Holy Spirit that said, you need to go to the hospital now. So without changing clothes and without uh, lagging around, I, I knew that it was a, an audible from the Lord and his timing was impeccable because as we traveled, which was a very short distance to the hospital, uh, we checked into the ER. Within three or four minutes, checking into the trauma uh, unit to assess it, I had a cardiac arrest in the hospital and I'm grateful for the team there, I'm grateful for the doctors. What they told me after the fact was that if I had not responded immediately and gotten to the hospital, my chance of survival was 6% or less. So a heart attack is really some, something that's to be taken seriously, but greater than that is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and bringing us to a place where we can respond in life or death situations like that and come out with a great God result. So here we are, uh, two weeks, three weeks out, and I'm here to say God is on the move and I am alive and well. Well, good morning. Great to have you with us. If you're joining home, I want to welcome you as well. And Bruce is a good friend of mine that uh, I happened to be with him the week after this had taken place. And he began to share a little bit of this story. And as he was sharing that story, I was struck by how um, his willingness to not wait on the ambulance really gave him the greatest chance of survival. And I knew where we were going today in God's classroom talking about obedience and the power of immediate obedience. And I said, Bruce, can you come over and just share a little bit of that and, and tell that story? Because the stories that we're telling here at Colonial Woods aren't just our stories, they're the kingdom stories. And so whether that happens and you're at another church or, or wherever you're at, we want to hear those stories because that's what God is doing and it's edifying to hear that as we come before the Lord. Now, there are times in Scripture where we see evidences that God is very patient in working with us toward obedience. In other words, He brings us along in obedience. It's not always immediate. In fact, you know, you, you can think of several great prophets and, and those who were in Scripture who didn't obey right away. Moses struggled with some obedience as he questioned God, how, how can you want to use me to lead and to speak? I I'm not, I'm, don't speak very well. And so we see there are several times that God is bringing him along. He's patient in Moses being obedient. Gideon is a great example. I call him the great 
doubter because everything, every time God gave him clear instruction in the book of Judges, I think it was chapter 6 through about chapter 8 or 9, Gideon would question him. How can I be the person? I'm, the, I'm in the, the smallest clan, and I am the least within my clan. And, oh, by the way, I know you've given me clear instruction, but how about I put a fleece out there? I just want to make sure. Over and over, Gideon does this, but God is patient with him and honors his, his obedience as he works in his life. Jonah, my goodness, Jonah ran from God, and yet God honored it when he repented, came back into obedience. God still honored his ministry. So there are many examples examples in scripture how God is patient with us but then there are also times we see that for us to delay means that we would miss a provision a promise something that God has in store for us it might even be an opportunity that will never recover and so what I want to do today is is talk about obedience and then obedience now obedience is one of those things that's pretty clear in scripture God is going to primarily primarily lead us through scripture what is clear in scripture and then as the spirit of God applies that into our lives not everything not everything we see in scripture it has to be applied into our activities of the day but I also want to talk today about how to nurture a spirit that is obedient even in the small nuances the Spirit of God will apply the principles or the boundaries of Scripture in a more direct way, and we want to learn how to do that a little bit today. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17, where, which we have been to a number of times before. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages. If you take notes, you probably have uh, notes in the margin here, and that's fine, but hang with me. I think you're going to see a different view out of this passage and a different truth than maybe what you've seen before. And it comes in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's the introduction to us of a prophet by the name of Elisha. Here's what it says, Elijah, sorry. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, this is not the Ahab from Moby Dick, it's a previous Ahab, he's the king of Israel. He said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years Accept my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. If we've studied that with me previously, the word Kerith Ravine, that, that name means the place of whittling, it, like a, with a knife. And there are times that God sets us in a place where he whittles us, where he shapes us. And it says, and you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. By the way, they're not bringing meat, they are the meat. They are, they are, they are dinner. They're bringing dinner, and they are dinner. So he did what the Lord said. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once. Say that phrase with me, would you? Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, 
And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Now, I want you to know, I think there is emotion and exhaustion behind that phrase. As surely as the Lord lives, or as I was just telling him, right? That's kind of the idea. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself so that my son, for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home, do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you do have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord gives rain on the land. Now there's incredible truths that come out of this passage. There are times of whittling in our lives. And in fact, what I notice in verse seven, it says sometime later, the brook dried up. Sometimes we go through dry times in life. We go through change of circumstance in life. And it wasn't because Elijah did anything wrong or that he was in the wrong place. Elijah was exactly where he was supposed to be and Elijah was completely obedient as far as he knew to what God had asked him to do. There are times that the brook goes dry, circumstances happen. We go through challenges because of the choices of others or by the fact we live in a world where people make choices that bring consequences. The, Israel had sinned against the Lord. Ahab was a, an evil king. And God was bringing discipline on them. And he, now Elijah was being disciplined, but not because of anything he had done, but because of he was in the byproduct. He lived in that territory. And that's a really important lesson because I think sometimes we so often think, well, things are going bad in my life. I must have done something wrong. God must, no, sometimes we go through hard things because other people made lousy choices. But what I want you to see is the phrase, go at once. There is an immediacy to this command. There is a timing in this command. And God said, Elijah, you can't delay. You can't wait around. You can't ponder this for a few days. I need you to go at once. Why? Well, you're going to notice at least three things that would have happened had Elijah not immediately obeyed. The first thing is he would have missed a provision that God already had for his life. His, his food was gone, his water was gone, and God had a provision for him. And if you want to you look at this, it says sometime later, it says, go at once uh, to Zarephath of Sidon to, the place, uh, to that place to supply you with food and water. Why? Because there's a widow there. There's a divine appointment for you, Elijah, that if you go at once, you're going to intersect this widow at a key moment of the day when she is in the town getting water. That's how you're going to know. And it was a timing issue for him. 
Now, I suppose God could have provided for him in a different way. God certainly provided uh, ravens for him. He provided them to bring bread. I mean, there were other ways God did it, but it was simply how God wanted to provide for him. And sometimes when God calls us to step into obedience with the parameters of the word of God, but God prompts us, God leads us, God inspires us, God speaks to us, however you want to say it, we're being obedient to what God's leading in our life is. It is a provision, a blessing, that God wants to bring into our life. It can be an encounter. It can be a circumstance. How many times we've been in places where a, ch- a provision came because we were in the right place, right time. So it was a provision. Number two, he would have missed a protection that God had for his life. I love this point because you need to follow me a little bit. You'll notice he had been hiding in the Carith Ravine, which is east of the Jordan River. uh, Ahab was the king over Israel proper. So God sent him outside of the more Israel proper to an area that was east of the Jordan. Now there were two and a half tribes of Israel that were still on the east side of the Jordan, but he went over there to kind of be out of the main territory where the king would have been searching for him. But then what's interesting is at a key moment, he says in verse 7, go at once, and where did he tell him to go? To a widow in Zarephath of Sidon. Go back to chapter 16. In chapter 16, verse 31, I want you to see who is in Sidon. It says... um, He not only considered it, they're talking about Ahab and how evil he is. Ahab was so evil, he did not consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Jezebel is married to Ahab, Her dad is the king of Sidon. So Ahab's father-in-law, someone that is loyal to him through marriage, that's where he sent Elijah to hide. Now normally, that would be a terrible place to send someone to hide unless the king had already searched there. Any of you ever do this? When I was growing up, we played a lot of hide-and-seek, and we played hide-and-seek, or we played a game called Kick the Can. I don't know if you've ever played that before. Kick the Can, you can hide all over the farm. If somebody sees you, you run back, you tap on the can, you get to the can before they do, you win. But if you get back there and you kick the can before they get back there, you win the game and it restarts again, and, and you hide. And we played hide-and-seek. Any of you ever played hide-and-seek? You know what I'm talking about, right? All right. Any of you ever play hide-and-seek where it was allowable for you to move where you were hiding? Any of you ever play that way? Oh, you have missed it. It is great fun when you do this. In fact, I've done this with my kids where I'm watching my kids look for me. They look in a closet, and then I go and I get in the closet because I know they've already looked there. Any of you ever done something like that? Okay. That's what's happening here. God moves Elijah east of the Jordan. Why? Because Sidon is a place that is favorable toward Ahab. Then 
when Ahab has already searched Sidon, he moves him into Sidon because they've already searched there for him. By the way, why do I think that? Go to chapter 18, and he is coming up to a guy by the name of Obadiah. Elijah is now revealing himself after two and a half, three years. He is revealing himself to Obadiah, who works for the king, Ahab. And he says, Obadiah, go and tell your master that Elijah is here. Obadiah says, please don't make me do that, because what does he say? What have I done wrong? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. We have looked for you everywhere. We have looked in every kingdom. We have looked in every... So what he does is he sends him into hostile territory because for that moment in hostile territory is the place of God's protection. And he would have missed that had he delayed. Number three, he would have missed a primary purpose for his life because he was going there not just to impact his life but to impact the life of a widow and her son. You see, we are so often so egocentric. We think everything is about us. One of the things you learn about children in childhood psychology, whether it be in education or in psychology and counseling with children, is that children are incredibly egocentric. They only really care about what's in it for them. I'm guessing you didn't go for child psychology and you already knew that, right? If you had a child, you know it's all about them. Tammy watched Jackson and Porter the last two days and um, I think the one text I got from her was simply, help! <laughs> because let me tell you, between Jackson messing, Porter messing, and the dog messing, there was a lot of messing going on. And when kids are tired, it's all about them. And by the way, that's why grieving, if you've had a child who's gone through grieving of any kind of a loss, a lot of times parents or, or others will talk to me and they'll say, well, he's not acting right. It's because children, when they go through loss, only think about what does this mean for my safety? They're very insecure. They're very, and so if I lose somebody, what I really care about is what does this now mean for me? And so you have to get them through that. And you gotta work with them on that level now here's the thing most of the time we don't grow out of that you see we think that obedience to God really only impacts us and yet we all know that the choices that we make and the obedience that we step into or the disobedience that someone else steps into can have incredible ramifications on the people around us it doesn't just impact you it impacts the people around you it impacts other lives I really don't know whether this was a life and death situation for Elijah, but I will tell you this. It was a life and death situation for the widow and her son. She was down to her last meal. She had a little bit of flour. She had a little bit of oil. They had one meal left. She was already battling the Lord. The Lord had already spoken to her. That's what God said back in verse 7. God had already been speaking to her to provide for him. She was having a tussle in obedience with the Lord already. That's why she erupts when he asks her for some bread. 
Did you ever think that your step of obedience or your obedience to prompting or your, your being obedient to the leading of God, that it actually might have life or death consequences in somebody else's life? I have so many illustrations for my life. You're saying, well, you're a pastor. No, it's not because I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. And Scripture tells me that while God gives me very clear parameters in his word, how to apply that into the everyday comes by the leading of the Spirit of God. That's why Paul says, since we know what it is to live by the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. And I have so many examples in my life, whether it was as a pastor or before as a pastor or when I wasn't doing anything that had anything to do with being a pastor, where just those chance, in, what you call chance encounters, had, had some big ramifications. I had a time in our last church where I had a, had a good friend, someone that I was active in ministry with, and for some reason, I can remember the morning, I just felt like I was supposed to just put my arm around him, and I don't know what it was, but I just had this feeling something wasn't quite right, and I ignored it because I was afraid of embarrassing myself, or I was afraid of offending him, only to find out several months later that he had entered into an affair outside of marriage, and two families were devastated. And I could, so many times I've wondered, if I'd have just been obedient, would that have been enough of a check in his spirit for him to step a different direction? A number of months ago, I was in a worship service, and I do this sometimes. I just felt like I was supposed to go up, and while we were singing, I felt like I was supposed to go up and read a portion of Scripture and I was supposed to pray. And the portion of Scripture that God led on my heart was the passage in the Gospels where it talks about the widow who had the bleeding disorder which lasted for years and how she knew that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' cloak that, that she could be healed in that whole passage. I had no idea why I was doing this. I just got up and I went into prayer and I read the passage and I feel like someone's here that maybe just, if you feel like if you could just touch the cloak of the hem of Jesus that it could make things better. And I prayed and I went into the message. Nothing to me ever changed. And a guy came up to me after the service and he just had this disbelief in his face. And, he, and they had gone through some really tough stuff and he said, Pastor, I was here before the service and I was just sitting there and I was praying and I was opening my Bible and I, and I underlined this verse. And he took this Bible and he turned it to me and it was the very passage that I had just prayed over him. And it just served as an encouragement. You're saying, well, that didn't make any difference in your life. It didn't make any difference in my life, but it made a big difference in his life. You see, sometimes our obedience is not, it's not really even about us. But God uses us in the life of others. I was telling Pastor Bruce, I think I told him this story a uh, number of years ago. I was preaching on Esau and Jacob. And the word Esau, uh, the name translated means hairy. And I don't know why. I didn't do it in any other service. It was just in one service. And I got up and I started, I said, and it, by the way, his, his name means hairy. And so for the rest of the message, I called Esau Harry. 
And I kept saying that Harry followed his desires above God's blessing, and he put God's short-term, or he put, he put short-term satisfaction ahead of God's long-term blessing. That was it. It was just off the cut. It just came in that moment, and I did it. Didn't do it again that whole weekend, and I had a guy come up to me after the service. We met right here, and he came up very quietly, and he said, I'm wondering if you could just pray over me and I would want you to pray over my marriage. And I looked up and his wife was standing over here and she had death coming out of her eyes. And I looked at him and I thought, buddy, what did you do? I mean, I just, that's really, that's it. I mean, I've judged him completely. I'm going, I already know what this is about, man. I just started praying, prayed for healing, restoration, that whole thing. Three months later, he wrote me an email. He said, you probably don't know who I am. I knew exactly who he was. Can't miss that encounter. That was, a, that was, you know. He said, what you don't know is what had transpired that morning. And he said, I found out that my wife had been involved with someone else. And his name was Harry. And she was convinced that I had called you and told you and you changed the message. <laughs> Now, first of all, I don't think I'd have had the guts to do that. (laughs) You ever do something where you say, man, I'm so glad I didn't know what I was actually doing when that happened. I could never be fast enough, smart enough, clever enough to outmaneuver the Lord. Simply be obedient. So how do I do that? Because I think sometimes when we talk this way, my son Wes, he asks me often, he says, Dad, how do you do that? How do you do that? I, I, don't, I don't get quite how you do that. Okay, so God's word always steps as the parameter, okay? There's real clear stuff in Scripture. Scripture tells us to be generous, but how do we apply that generosity that comes through God's leading? And so let me give you a few hints on how to do this. But it always starts, is am I currently walking in obedience to the stuff I know? And then am I in my relationship? Because it's really interesting how God tends to lead those he has relationship with. So those two things, am I, am I seeking him and am I walking in obedience to the things that are pretty clear in Scripture? Now how do I apply this? Number one, it's just be obedient and nurture it in the small things. You'll find that he, God doesn't usually... Uh, leads you to do something huge he usually kind of trains you in something smaller so uh, what Luke chapter 17 says if you're not faithful in the small things you're not going to be faithful in the big things and so just nurture it in the everyday and I would dare say the things that don't really take that much risk for me one of the things God has used in my life is I was at McDonald's one time he tells me to be generous I don't give to everybody I don't pay for everybody's meal but I was in line and I felt like the Lord was just telling me, go up and pay for this guy's uh, McDonald's. Now, I have no idea if that blessed him beyond the moment. I have no idea what that said to him. All I know is God asked me to be obedient. And when you're obedient in those small things, it's amazing how God affirms that and then you step on into other things. Maybe it's a word you give to somebody. Maybe it's you don't know why. You just feel like you're supposed to go up, tell somebody, hey, I just believe that God wants me to tell you this. And it's amazing how often that gets affirmed. You know why that was so important in that person's life. Number two, ask. God really loves to lead your life. 
Psalm 25, the psalmist says this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O God. Do not let me be put to shame or let my enemies triumph over me. Verse 4, show me your ways. Teach me your paths, O Lord. Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. God doesn't want to play secret with you. He loves to lead you. He wants to lead you. He's given the clear word of God. He wants to lead you as you apply that into your life. Number three, a third thing is to step out in faith and in humility. Scripture says anything that is done outside of faith is sin. So it's not, it's, it means that I'm making a step and I'm stepping out in faith. So I believe that God is wanting me to come up for whatever reason, prompting me to, to say something to Pastor Brian or to come alongside and say, put, say something into somebody's life or to give or something or to give towards something. Now what's interesting that as I do this, I'm gonna step out, but I'm gonna step out in humility i got to be very cautious that there's not an arrogance. I had an individual one time come up to me in Tim Hortons. They had come to church a couple of times. I saw this lady. We happened to get in, um, in line together. And she looked at me and she said, oh, hey, Pastor Phil, we've been coming. By the way, I, I believe God wants me to tell you something. And she just began to blast me in line at Tim Hortons. And I couldn't even enjoy my donut. The second one tasted better. <laughs> By the way, when somebody does that, how do you respond? I did the only thing I could. She said the Lord told her she was supposed to say something to me. She did it in a horrific way. I looked at her and said, well, thank you very much. And then I went out and I spent some time and said, Lord, is there any truth to what she just said? She may have been doing it in the wrong way, but I, did, I wanted to at least ask if maybe this, you know, God spoke to Balaam out of a donkey's mouth. I suppose he could use a person at Tim Hortons if he wanted. <laughs> it's amazing how stepping out in humility, number four, number four, and obey your conscience. Now, I know that sounds incredibly childish, and yet it's biblical. Now, Romans chapter 14, I've taught out of that passage that there are some people who, who have weaker faith, Paul says, and some who their conscience allows certain things. And there are absolutes in Scripture that are absolutes, and then there are preferences that are simply preferences, but then there are convictions and while your conviction may not be everybody else's conviction because it's not an absolute in Scripture, if God has placed this on your heart, then be obedient to it. I had a, a mom uh, new to Christ who asked my opinion on something a few weeks ago. And I said, listen, um, I gave her both sides of this thing scripturally. And I said, I don't particularly think this is a big deal as long as we're uh, appropriate in how we do it. But then I said, but let me just tell you, if your conscience doesn't allow you, make sure you listen to your conscience. That is incredibly biblical. 
By the way, do you notice how Scripture framed even the application of that discussion? Why? Because Scripture is the clear Word of God. He's not going to lead contrary to His Word. Why? Because the Holy Spirit authored the Word. Why would the Holy Spirit then author a different direction than what God's Word allows? Which leads to number five. Stay malleable. Be flexible. Allow Him to shape you and hone you. Scripture tells us that if I'm walking in a direction, it's the wrong direction. It says whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And God knows how to direct your path if you just stay malleable. And so you're saying, well, how do I do this? Well, okay, Tammy and I believe a scriptural principle. It's not an absolute because in the Old Testament, if it was an absolute and you broke it, they'd stone you. That wasn't ever done in the Old Testament. But giving a tenth to the Lord is a biblical principle. And we believe that for our life. We believe that's a starting point because God tells us to be generous and so we then give above and beyond that just as God prompts because we want to be generous people. God has blessed us. We want to bless others. One's a foundation. And how to begin to apply that, we go by what the Lord seems to be prompting our heart to do, whether it be an individual or a ministry. And you'll notice that even though Elijah was a prophet, he still got off balance. After the encounter at Mount Carmel, if you read the rest of his story, he did what most of us do. He ran scared, he ranted, and he raved. And he couldn't sense God until he slowed down, got quiet, and listened. All of us, when crisis hits, are tempted to run around screaming, hands in the air, ranting and raving. It is a natural result. You try to train yourself not to do that. It is a natural thing. But when you slow down, you quiet yourself and you listen. You can hear him again. Would you pray with me? I want everybody to take a really deep breath. Deep in, deep out. Ready? <sighs> Quiet yourself. What has the Lord been speaking to your heart? What has He been prompting? Where is an area that you have been reluctant to be obedient? Why? What's the barrier? What's the area of surrender that you want to hold control of? Lord, your desire in your word is to be conformed into the image of your son. Romans chapter 8, 28, 29. 
sometimes the hardest thing to do when I feel like I'm in your classroom is to just be quiet, to ask, to rely and to trust, but that's what I want to do today. And I ask your forgiveness when I have pushed back and I keep asking questions as a way to delay what you're asking me to do. So Lord, I want to develop this ability in my life to just simply walk slowly, listen, and be obedient. I said before the message that I wanted you, Holy Spirit, to lead me even in the very deep things of God. And so, Holy Spirit, I didn't just say that just to say it. I'm saying it because I, I definitely want it. Lead me. As that song was before we teach me to abide. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.